And we'll just keep going with this uh, until we sort of feel like we've, we've covered the ground we need to cover. But last week we looked at Luke 4, and this is basically the pattern we're following is Jesus went through this process where in Luke 4, you can read it, the Bible says that he was filled by the Holy Spirit, then he was led by the Holy Spirit, and then he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at this process of being filled, and then after we're filled, being led, and then through the process of being led, being released and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think that Luke goes to detail to record the process for us for a reason. The Holy Spirit wanted it in his recollection for a reason for us. And I believe that it's the journey that each of us take, is that we need to embrace the fact that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's no point trying to be led by the Spirit if you don't actually believe you're filled with the Spirit. If you can't settle that question, answer that question, and many, I'm amazed how many Christians can't settle that question, Because they're looking for the wrong things. They're not looking for what the Word of God says. They're looking for maybe some experience. And and a lot of it comes back to, I think, the teaching perhaps that has been thrown out about what it means to be filled with the Spirit and what it looks like and how you have to be a certain way. Yet when we go back to the Word of God, and if you weren't here last week, jump on iTunes and have a listen. We talked about being filled with the Spirit. And from my understanding, my theological understanding of the Bible, if you are born again, you have repented and handed your life over to Jesus, and the Bible tells me that you have the Spirit of God inside of you. It happened. A lot of us are still wondering. We're still waiting. We need to embrace the fact that, you know what, if the Bible says it, then it's true. Paul went so far in Romans, I think chapter 8, to say that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not his. In other words, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved. So to sit there and say, I don't think I've got the Spirit, is akin to saying, I don't think I'm saved. Well, The opposite is true. If you know that you've repented and handed your life over and you know you're born again, you know you're saved, then by faith you know that's a true reality. By faith you need to embrace the fact that you are filled with the Spirit of God. This is what the Bible teaches. Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up and he says, Repent and believe and the promise of the Father will come upon you. It's for you and all subsequent generations. He says it's a promise and God made the promise and God keeps his promises. If God promised that this is what would happen when you repent and believe, then I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take that to the bank. I am filled with the Spirit of God. And if you're in this place today and you've repented and handed your life over to him, the Bible tells me that you have the Spirit of God inside of you. Don't wait for some feeling or don't wait to fall over or a hair to come up on the back of your neck or to speak in another tongue or whatever the thing may be that you've been taught or heard. Don't wait for that to happen before you embrace by faith. No, no, I am filled with the Spirit of God. I am filled with the Spirit of God. Some of you, when you got saved, something happened. You felt something. Many of you didn't. Some of us can go to that very moment and go, that was the moment I gave my life to Christ. For some of us, maybe those brought up in the church, maybe it was a gradual process. And you just got to the point where you made that decision and it crept upon you. All of a sudden you just... I remember uh, when I got saved and all I got was sitting on a roundabout and I just got truck fumes. I didn't get goosebumps and falling over. I got truck fumes in my face from passing buses and trucks. And that was, you know, that was me. I didn't get all the goosebumps and the bells and the whistles. But I do remember a particular day going with some friends to Brisbane. I remember standing next to a car with my hand on the car, looking across the top of the car to a group of people and suddenly having this amazing experience where something inside me went off and said, I am a child of God. And I just, it was just this amazing split-second moment where something happened. It was way after 
probably you know a few months after I, I repented and gave my life to Christ, but I had that kind of encounter there. Was I saved in that moment? No, no, I was saved right back here. Because it doesn't matter about the feelings, it didn't matter about the experience. What mattered was I made the decision to hand my life over to Christ, to repent of my sins and to get my life right with God. I made that choice. And the Bible teaches at that moment I was filled with the Spirit of God. And if you want some scriptures to back that up, go to last week's podcast, have a listen. I don't want to uh, rehash and go over it all again. But I'm telling you here, if you have given your life to Christ, if you're sitting here saying, yes, I'm a committed follower of Jesus, then I'm telling you, you are filled with the Spirit of God. Stop waiting for something else to happen and start believing in faith and get out of your seat and walk out of this room and say to yourself, I am filled with power by the Spirit of God. Everywhere I go, I take the Holy Spirit with me. I've got God on the inside of me. And I carry God with me everywhere I go. Start believing it. Stop second-guessing. So I think part of the, the problem for me is all this teaching about what it should look like. Well, it should just look like you believing in faith that you're filled with the Spirit. And the fruit will come. As a result of that, things will begin to happen. You'll start to, 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 to walk in the life of God more freely. But for a lot of people, they just can't settle the issue because we're waiting for something else. Yet the Bible doesn't promise anywhere that there'll be a something else. I know that we have this... Uh, some people believe that the evidence is that you speak in tongues. Billy Graham never spoke in tongues till the day he died. Does anyone want to challenge whether that man was filled with the Spirit of God? I don't think so. So I don't believe that. Doc, next week I'm hoping if we have time to show you why I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. So maybe next week we'll look at that because I don't believe that if you don't speak in tongues you don't have the spirit. But the problem is people are teaching this stuff. So you're sitting in a crowd, you're hearing a preacher or you're reading a book or something and they're saying this and we second guess. We're going, oh, well, I don't. And then you get people that just pretend they do because you don't want to look like the odd one out. So I'll just shunda bunda 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 with people. And I shared last week some of my stories. We won't go there again. But the bottom line is I believe that if you have repented and given your life to Christ, you're filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, there's this interesting verse in there, and I want to go there in a second. Before we do, I'll really quickly share a story. I might go just a couple of minutes over 12 today because we got back a bit later. Um, when I was a young kid, we used to live, I lived uh, over on the Serpentine in Ballina with my father. My dad was a fairly sort of robust, strong sort of guy. And I remember one night I'm sitting down and I'm watching television with my dad. And while we're watching TV, I just happened to look across over in that direction. We had a kitchen table. It was just like one big room with a, a, a couple of little bedrooms and a kitchen um, lounge room, sort of dining thing. And I looked across and there was a table that was sitting up against the wall with the window open. And we had this pure white cat. And this pure white kitten is sitting there like a statue. Down like that, paws in front, just staring out the window just staring and I looked at the cat and I thought wow I've never seen the cat that still my whole life I've never seen my cat stand that still and so I'm just staring at this cat going that's amazing what's happening and next thing outside the window I see this big snake head start coming in the window and I just see this big head and it's just eyeballing my cat and it's just coming towards my cat I freaked out because I don't like snakes at all you know I just hate them. I drove past a snake after our prayer meeting on Thursday night. I don't know if anybody saw that down the bottom of, of Holland Street here. And when I drive past a snake in the car, I lift my feet in the car. That's how scared I am of snakes. I hate them. I just <laughs> lift them my feet. And then, of course, the car slows down. I'm thinking, no, it's going to catch me. <laughs> and so I screamed, ah! And my dad thought, I don't know, I must have screamed so loud. My dad screamed. He panicked. Ah, what's going on? I said, ah, snake! 
And dad gets up, he sees the snake, he picks up a broom and he runs over to the snake. And when he gets over to the table, by this stage the snake's about that far away from the cat. And he pulls his arm back and he just goes thump to the cat. And the cat just flew across the kitchen, smashed into the fridge, slid down to the ground. And then the snake turned its head towards dad. So dad is pushing on this snake with this broom, trying to get it out of the window. And this snake's pushing my dad back. He's leaning into it and it's pushing him back. In the end, he ended up getting it out. We closed the window. And then the snake just slithered up the glass, brought its head back, and then went bang on the glass and slid down. We'd go back up, come back, bang. After three times, Dad, he's like me, we snakes, he said, we're out of here. So we jumped in the car and drove to his girlfriend's house for the night and we stayed at his girlfriend's house. We came back the next day, cut a long story short, the snake was in the house. Where was the cat? We took the cats with us when we left. We took the cat with us. The cat was disoriented and dazed. We come home the next day, we go into my bedroom, open the door, and there's this big hole in my bedroom roof, and somehow it got into the roof, came down through the hole. On my bed, you can see this mark like this, where it slithered from the very foot of the bed all the way up onto my pillow, and then onto my little cupboard, knocked over my stereo. And And anyway, it ends up that my dad's girlfriend walks in the room, and the snake lunges at her from underneath the cupboard. She screams... Cut a long story short, we end up calling the, the ranger. The ranger says, well, we're not touching it. They're, you know, they're protected or whatever. And the police had a special department that dealt with it. So the police came out and they took this dirty, great big um, snake out and got rid of it. But poor cat. I mean, I'm wondering what, what's the cat thinking in that moment? It's got one of two things. It's either going, this is the best day of my life. I was going to be eaten by a snake and this man who I know loves me whacks me with a broom to save my life. That's the best day of my life. Or maybe, maybe he's thinking, this man who I thought loved me has just thumped me with a broom. This is the worst day of my life. It's the worst day or it's the best day. And it all comes back to what is the cat focused on in that moment? Where's the mind of the cat in that particular moment of life? Unconscious, of course. When he woke up, what was he thinking? So the difference here is what is your mind fixed on? What is the cat's mind fixed on? A man I thought loved me has hurt me. A man I know loves me has saved my life. Same action. The activity didn't change. It's not about what happened. It's about what is the mind fixed on in that moment. In Ephesians chapter 5, we've got this interesting comment that Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And he says this in verse 18 and verse 19 of Ephesians 5. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. I'm reading from the New King James here. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That word be filled in the Greek is an interesting phrase. In the original language, it's what they call a present continuous phrase. It literally means be continuously filled. Be continuously filled. So here we are last week, I'm telling you that you're filled with the Spirit. 
And when these Ephesian believers gave their lives to Christ, they were up on that moment of salvation, according to the way that Paul words things in Paul's theology, they were filled with the Spirit. And now here's Paul later on encouraging them, saying, I need you to be continuously filled. In other words, you were filled, but for whatever reason, you need to keep topping yourself up. I've heard it presented before that it's kind of like we're a bucket and we've got holes in it. And you fill a bucket with water and it leaks. I think that's a really, really poor analogy because it puts the emphasis, I think, on the water level goes up and the water level goes down. It kind of makes no sense to me that I would be filled with the Spirit, but that the Spirit, like some kind of substance like water, would seep out of me when I make a mistake or when I make a wrong choice, that the Spirit would seep out of me. I don't think Paul's saying that the Holy Spirit is like water and you're a bucket and you've got holes in it. If that was the case, I would never be filled in the first place. It would have run straight out the bottom. I would never have been filled in the first place. It would just go. It would be gone. It's not the picture that he's painting. It's an analogy I hear used a lot, but it doesn't paint the picture well. It's like the analogy of when you come to faith, put Jesus in the driver's seat. It's, I understand what you're saying, but it's a poor analogy because at no point does he take the wheel At no point does he take over. That's possession. That's another spirit. At no point does he start making you do things. He jumps in the passenger seat and begins to give you guidance and direction. But you still got to live your life. You still got to live your life. You still got to take responsibility for your choices. You still got to make decisions. You still got to look after your body, your mind, your soul, you know. It's still us. But Paul says be continuously filled. So somewhere there, there is a process whereby. There's this dissipation of our spiritual awareness. There's this process whereby we we lose something of the Spirit of God. Or probably a better way to put it is, there's this process whereby the Spirit of God loses a bit of us. I think that's a better way to put it. When... You know, when the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit of God descended like a dove, I don't know if you've ever heard this sort of talking as well, that, you know, the Holy Spirit's like a dove. And then it goes on to the, the, the understanding that, well, a dove can't put its feet on dirty ground, which means that, you know, every time you sin or whatever, the dove flies away and doesn't come near you. I mean, all these analogies, I get what people are trying to say, but we hear them and they give us a theological framework that's actually not very sound. If that was the case, then the Spirit of God would have descended upon him like a yo-yo. You know, come down, then back up, and then down, then back up, then down, then back up. But he didn't. The Spirit of God descended upon them, and they were filled. And I can't help but realise that when you read the Word of God and you read about the different churches, they're churches because at some point they responded to the Gospel message. At some point they said yes to Jesus, and at that moment they're filled with the Spirit. Yet even spirit-filled people make dumb choices and do dumb things. That's how most of what the letters, a lot of what the, the, the letters Paul's writing, he's addressing in some uncertain issues because you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that. People still make silly choices. Okay, You might not be perfect. That's not a reason for you to believe you're not filled with the Spirit. You might have a struggle. Let me tell you something. Paul the Apostle says, I had that much revelation. And I knew so much stuff and God had shown me that much stuff that he actually allowed a a, a thought in my flesh just to keep me humble. Because I knew that much stuff. I mean, does anyone want to say that Paul was not filled with the Spirit? Of course he was. But he had a thought in his flesh. 
He had a thorn in his flesh. But something happens as a process whereby somehow, however we want to word it, the spirit must, there must be some dissipation of spiritual life in a believer. And Paul says, yes, that happens, but because it happens, you need to continuously go back and you need to keep filling yourself with the spirit. Let me give you what I think he means when he says, keep filling yourself with the spirit. I think, as Pauline so beautifully put it this morning, and it was great, your communion message, because I thought that's exactly what I'm talking about today. Being continuously filled with the Spirit is really about being continuously focused on the Spirit. Being continuously focused, having our minds fixed on the things of God, the presence of God, the reality of God in my day-to-day life. How many of you know that you can come to a place like this and you can, your brain can get switched on to the spiritual world? You can sit down and have a quiet time, you can pray, and your brain gets flicked on to God. It might be way over here, but you start praying and all of a sudden it's all fixed on God. Or your might, brain might be way over here, but you pick up a Bible and you start to read, and all of a sudden it's fixed on God. But how many of you know that when you walk away from that, the world is trying to get your attention, the world is screaming at you, and your mind, your brain, your thought process drifts away from the Spirit of God, the Kingdom of God, the reality that God is here in this moment, and can easily get caught up in so many other things, and that just becomes a background thought, not a thought in the, in the foreground of our minds. I believe that being continuously filled with the Spirit is about being continuously focused on the Spirit. Paul's saying you need to remain continuously focused on the Spirit. In every moment of your life, no matter what you're going through, remain focused on the the, the, the spiritual side of life. Remain focused on the fact that God is with you. Try to remain focused on the fact that there is not just a natural thing happening here, there's a spiritual world. And there's a dimension going on there. I can sit down with my wife and we can have a natural disagreement about something. And we can get passionate in our natural disagreement. And we're both pretty passionate people when we disagree. And so our passionate disagreement can become quite passionate. And if both of us fail to stop and go, hang on a second, the Spirit of God is with us. There's a spiritual dimension going on. What's going on in the spirit world right now? There's nothing the enemy would love more than for us to both dig our heels in and think we're both right and think that one of us winning the argument is more important, I think God would probably go, hang on a second, unity between you two and submitting to one another and loving one another and preferring the other is probably more important. And in that moment, we can change that whole thing. Why? Because we fixed our mind on something different. And if we don't do that, then we just keep going fisticuffs with each other until I win. (laughs) Which has never happened. Amen, she's saying in the front row here. (laughs) Continuously filled means to be continuously fixed on God, to have our minds fixed on God, to not lose sight of the fact that God is with us all the time. Let Let me explain what I believe the process of being continuously filled is. I want to start by just saying to you what I believe the process of being continuously filled does not mean. It does not mean preacher Jimmy James, Billy Bob, is coming to town. So chase preacher man Jimmy James Billy Bob everywhere he goes. Because if preacher man Jimmy James Billy Bob lays his hands on you, then you're going to get filled with the Spirit again. And we see this all the time. I've seen this through my whole Christian life. People are chasing preachers. They're chasing ministries. They're trying, if I just relocate, go somewhere else. If I just fly to, to America and lay on Billy Graham's grave, then I will receive the Spirit and I will... You know, 
If I just get this pastor to pray for me, and I stand in the prayer line and one of the associates come pray for me, and I just say to him, no, I don't want you, I want him. Because his hands are more holy than your hands. It's the same God flowing through both hands. And if we're fixed on God, it really doesn't matter. Because we're roaring from God anyway. It doesn't mean running around. Paul doesn't say, be continuously filled with the Spirit. You guys need to get across to Galatia. You need to get those dudes laying hands on you because there's some good stuff going on over there with the Galatians. They have the Spirit with a big S. You know? You guys are leaking a little bit. Get over there with a go. He doesn't say that. He just says, where you are right now, be continuously filled with the Spirit. So it doesn't mean chasing the Spirit of God somewhere where, ooh, the big thing's happening over here. He's not saying that. The second thing he's not saying is don't go seeking after another emotional experience. Don't go seeking an emotional experience. How many times I hear people say it? I was prayed for and I just, you know, the the Spirit of God just filled me because I had some encounter. I had some experience. I'm very much into experiences. I believe the Holy Spirit is not a doctrine to be studied. He's a person to be encountered. But I don't go around chasing experiences. And if I don't have an experience, I don't say, well, God didn't do anything because I didn't have an experience. I began this journey by faith. I'll continue this journey by faith and I'll finish it by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, I will not lay a hold of everything he has for me, whether it's in the natural world or the unseen world. It's received first by faith. So it doesn't mean running around trying to seek an experience. Can you imagine, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they're gathered together in an upper room, 120 people, and the Spirit of God comes, it says, like a loud rushing wind. That's not a bad experience. Not about, I could do with some rushing wind in here right now. It's hot. <laughs> Spirit of God rushing. Just make it a cool wind. Keep your tongues afire. We don't need that. Feels like a furnace already. Just give us a cool wind. I've had moments where I've been in prayer and I've felt cool breeze. I've felt it. I've had a, a series of experiences years ago when I first got saved laying in bed. And the, the bottom left-hand corner of my sheet and blanket pulled up, happened three times in the space of a year, and this wind just blew up and down my body. I freaked out. And then this thought came into my head, which I know now is the Spirit of God, saying, just relax, this could be God. And it just went boom, boom, boom and disappeared and it was just beautiful. But you know, I don't have a lot of experiences like that anymore. I have experiences generally after a big curry or something like that, you know. They're they're probably the most experiential I get these days. But every now and then, God still comes. But you know, I've moved beyond a place where I don't need the experiences anymore. Maybe, Maybe when I first came to faith, I needed those experiences. But I've kind of got to a point now where I'm not really chasing experiences anymore. I want the face of God and I want what's real. And he's not saying be continuously filled by running around to the greatest anointed preacher you can find and getting him to pray. Nothing wrong with doing that. Don't hear me say you can't do that. But I'm saying that's not what he's saying. That's not the answer to you. If you feel like you need to be continuously filled, you feel the spirit leaking out, whatever, the answer is not to chase that that preacher. And the answer is not to go looking for experiences. This mighty rushing wind. Then we go over to Acts chapter 4. We've got the same group of people and they're praying to God, saying, God, give us boldness to preach the word of God. Stretch out your hand, perform healing, signs, wonders and miracles. And they pray and then the Bible says there was an earthquake. Then they had an earthquake, another experience. But at no point in any of the passages are they looking for an experience. That's just a bonus. That's just something God gives in the end. But they're seeking God first. So when the Bible says be continuously filled, what does it mean? Here's what I think it means. 
Let's read Ephesians 5, 18, 19 again. Anyone here got an old King James Bible? No, that's okay if you don't. It's okay if you don't. Most people don't read it. This is one of those verses where the old King James explains very clearly and better than probably what the new one does. Here's what it says. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, but be, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody where? In your heart to the Lord. The old King James puts it this way, and it's closer and more accurate to the original Greek. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which then makes sense with the second part, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself. Reminds me straight away of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in me. Bless his holy name. What am I doing? I'm reminding myself, keep focus. God's with me. I'm reminding myself there's a spiritual dimension to what I'm going through. I'm reminding myself that there's a Holy Spirit with me right now. I'm reminding myself that there's another realm beyond the natural. And there's two sides on that realm and they're both wanting an outcome in this situation. I'm reminding myself I'm not alone. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. What's it about? It's about focusing. You can't be singing and making melody in your heart with the Father as the focus as to the Lord and not be focusing your mind on Him. All of a sudden, it brings our attention, our focus back. How do we be continuously filled? Paul says you are to be continuously filled by bringing your mind and redirecting it back constantly to the fact that God is with you. You see, when, when, when they talk about the Spirit leaking, it's not that the Spirit of God dissipates and leaks out of me like God's some kind of product, God doesn't leak out of me. I, in one sense, leak out of the spiritual world. I leak away from God. It's not that he disappears, it's that I forget. How many times in the Bible does Paul remind people? Go into the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 3, I think verse 2, somewhere around there. He says, I'm going to ask you a question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get the Spirit? Did you believe in faith or did you do something? Did you believe in faith? You were saved and filled with the Spirit? Or do you have to kind of work for this thing, you know? Is there something extra out there that you can do? It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by constantly bringing ourselves back to that place of realising that we have the Spirit of God. The Galatians had forgotten that. So Paul has to remind them, hey, don't forget. Hang on a second. Remind yourself that you've still got God. Bring your thoughts back to that moment. Whatever you're going through, bring yourself back to that. Difference between your best day and your worst day. Was, was, my, was, was the cat sitting there going, I've lost sight of the reality, the spiritual realities of life. This man hates me and he's trying to hurt me. Or is he sitting there going, you know what? I trust my father. I know that he's good. I know that he's with me and I know that he saved me. I know that he's here in the midst of this situation. It's th- it, it gives you a different perspective on what you go through in life. It keeps God in the middle. And it keeps you connected to him. And it keeps you aware of the presence of the Spirit in your life. And Paul says, you need to be continuously filled. Do it to yourself. You don't need somebody else to do it. Do those things that continue to bring your mind back onto God. To me, the basics are there. Read your Bible. Pray. Fellowship. Sing and make melody in your own heart towards God. I want to give you one example and we'll finish up. It's getting really, really hot in here. I don't know about you, but I'm hot. 
Go with me to Matthew 16 real quick. Matthew 16 real quick. You can go there, you can read it later. Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Right? What does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Some say Elijah, some say John, blah, blah, blah. Peter nails it. He goes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, wow, Pete. Awesome. You got a revelation from heaven. That's Pete's best day. I'm telling you right now, that is the best day Peter has. Recorded in the Bible, it's one of his best days. Jesus himself said, you got it, son. Well done. Same chapter. Jesus begins to tell his disciples, I've got to go to the cross, I'm going to die. I have to do this because this is the plan of God. This is the purpose of God, that's why I came. Peter pulls him aside, the Bible says, and rebukes him. Maybe he felt, you know, too big for his boots or what. Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. And Peter says to him, this shan't happen to you. There's all, all kind of reasons that we could go into as to why Peter said that. But here's the point. Jesus pulls him aside and listen to Jesus' response to him. Keep going forward for us, Luke. But he turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Talk about your worst day. You are, that's, a bad, that's a big drop. That's penthouse to outhouse type stuff, you know. Get behind me, Satan. But watch this. You're an offence to me. Why are you an offence to me? You're not what? Mindful of the things of God. You're simply mindful of the things of men. And when we get ourselves in a place in life where we are more mindful of the things of men, we lose sight of the things of God. And when we lose sight of the things of God, that's when we need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. By realigning our mind, hang on a second, I know what's happening in the natural here, but... I'm going to sing to myself in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to sing, make melody in my heart to God because it brings my attention back onto God and back onto the spiritual realm and back onto the fact that he's with me. This is not blindsiding him. I've blindsided, but he's not. I'm shocked, but he's not. I don't know what to do, but he does. And it brings my mind back. And Jesus says to Peter, you're an offence to me. Why? Just because your mind switched off. One moment your mind's with me and you're telling me who I am and then something happened and your brain's gone. Peter, you need to go and be continuously filled with the Spirit. You can't be in and out. Peter, you're an offence to me. Why? Because your mind is now gone off the things of God. See, that's what I believe Paul's writing to the Ephesians when he says you need to be continuously filled. It's about being continuously focused because when I lose focus I don't lose the spirit of God God, what sort of a father walks away from you because you might have turned your attention over here come on we've got to get a bigger vision of God we've got to get a much bigger vision of our heavenly father what sort of father does that I can tell you this my heavenly father doesn't It's not about him disappearing from me. It's about me taking my eyes off him. And being continuously filled, Paul says, is about putting my eyes back on him. I don't need a preacher to pray for me for that. I don't need to go to another country. I don't need to go to a a revival meeting. I can do that right now. I can do that right here in this time and space. And I believe I need to do it daily. I need to do it daily. I find my mind wandering. And I start trying to attack things from a completely worldly perspective. 
and I come up against brick walls and I don't know where I'm going, don't know what I'm doing, and in those moments I've got to stop and go, hang on a second, I'm, I'm going I'm to just praise you, Jesus, and I thank you, God. There was this guy, I'll finish with this, there was a guy in Brisbane, and I never really understood this till recently, when I worked in YWAM. A guy called Jim, great guy. Here's what Jim used to do. I was running evangelism training schools at the time, and Jim was one of our staff. And Jim would walk around all day, and you'd walk past him, and he'd be sitting at the computer and go, Ah, oh, praise you, Jesus. And I would go, Yeah, okay. And then, ten minutes later, he'd be at the photocopying machine going, Ah, oh, praise you, Jesus. And I'm like, Yeah, I heard you the first time, Jim. I heard you. You know? And then, you know, 15 minutes later, I'm, I'm in the cubicle in the toilet, and then from the cubicle next door, I'd hear, Ah, oh, praise you, Jesus. Like, oh. And you know what I used to think? Jim, are you just trying to look really spiritual? Like, we get it. You love God. Good on you. But can you shut up with the praise you Jesus everywhere you go? It used to irk me. Not because I don't praise Jesus, but I used to not get why he did it. I used to think, you're just walking around trying to look spiritual all the time. And then one day, the penny dropped for me and I realised, you know what he was doing in those moments? He was being continuously filled with the Spirit. He wasn't being a religious, weird, fruity, kooky guy. He was doing exactly what the Word of God tells him to do. In those moments where you find that you're drifting, remind yourself, God is with you. If God be for you, who can be against you? The Spirit of God is with me right now. Whatever I'm facing, whatever the challenge is, whatever the difficulty is, I am not going through this alone. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what people think. I'm not facing this alone. God, you're with me. Continuously filled is about being continuously focused. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, God. Thank you for your spirit, God, that I believe dwells inside each person that calls upon your name. Father, I pray as we go into this next week, Lord, that this wouldn't just be something we hear about and then we make a choice to go into the week and stress about things or to get worked up about things or to, to try to tackle life in our own strength. I pray as we go from here tonight, uh, this morning, God, feels like night, I've been going so long. Father, but when we go from here this morning, I pray that as we face the different challenges this week, remind us about Ephesians 5. God, remind us to be continuously filled with your Spirit, to be continuously focused on the Spirit, continuously focused on what you're doing and where you may be in the midst of that situation, Father. Teach us how to do it, God. Each of us individually, teach us how to do that, Father. And we thank you that your presence is with us, that you never leave us and you don't forsake us because you are indeed a good, good Father. And we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. God, I pray for each of us as we leave. God, give us an opportunity in the next seven days to tell someone about you that does not yet know your love. Amen.